Mindfulness Mode 223. Sleep, meditation, and, and diet, and, and obviously exercise, those were kind of the four keystone habits that really helped me heal. You're listening to today's episode of Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks so much once again for tuning into the show. I appreciate you so much every, every time you tune in. Thanks so much too for your response to my mention of the Relax and Breathe Summit. As you know, I'm one of the 20 speakers along with the host, Pompey Strader Vidal, and I mentioned this free summit last time and dozens of you responded thanks again and if you're still thinking about it or you're hearing this for the first time sign up for this free summit you're going to love it it's at mindfulnessmode.com rab17 standing for relax and breathe 2017 all about joy and eliminating anxiety from your life And these speakers are truly expert speakers. You'll benefit from this a lot. Now, something else to tell you today. A few weeks ago, I received an email from one of my awesome listeners. The subject line was simply, grateful for your podcast. Then he went on and he said his name and he said, I wanted to reach out to you and let you know that you are awesome. Your podcast has helped me tremendously deepen my mindfulness practice. After leaving a six-figure job in management consulting and almost being destroyed by anxiety and depression, I knew I needed to change my life or else I was going to be destroyed by it. Through mindfulness, healthy lifestyle, and writing, I've been able to heal. I'm the happiest and most fulfilled I have ever been. I'm telling you, that sentence just sent shivers. I'm the happiest and most fulfilled I've ever been. Wow. I mean, that's my goal with the podcast is to reach out to people from all walks of life with mindfulness and what it means and how it can help you. Well, he went on to say this. Over the the past four months, I've been writing for outlets such as New York Observer, CNBC, Thought Catalog, and others about healing anxiety naturally. I'm a top writer on Medium with my posts receiving, get this, around 200,000 views a month. And I've built up a good following, over 6,000 email subscriptions over at his website, which is Fully Rich Life. He said, I believe my story would be a great fit for your audience. Well, right then and there, I just picked up the phone because his number was at the bottom of the email and I talked with his brilliant guy for 45 minutes and guess what today you are going to hear him too because he is featured on today's show settle in sit back and get ready to hear the compelling story of benjamin foley Hey everybody, I am really pumped today because I have an awesome guest with me, a guy who has left a six-figure job in management consulting. I'm going to tell you more, but first I'm going to ask you, hey man, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. I am. (laughs) Well, this is Benjamin, and I was just saying, our guest today left a six-figure job in management consulting, and... Now, here's, here's the, the tough part. He was almost destroyed by anxiety and depression. 
He knew he had only two choices, to change his life or to remain on the same path and to be destroyed. Fortunately, he made the decision to take action and change his path to focus on writing and being an entrepreneur. He immersed himself in a healthier lifestyle with a focus on mindfulness. Like I said, he's now the founder of Fully Rich Life, a blog that is focused on helping men decrease stress and anxiety, helping them find more focus and to be more present. He also writes for various top-rated publications, including the New York Observer, CNBC, Thought Catalog, and Medium. And it's read by over 200,000 readers. His articles are just like out there all over the place. That's a month, 200,000 readers a month on topics including anxiety, healthy eating, and mindset. Benjamin also helps businesses tell better stories with strategies that are like truly authentic. So I'm really, really excited to share this time with the inspiring, prolific writer, Benjamin Foley, who really understands how to get vulnerable. So that's what I was talking to you before we hit record, Benjamin. So, hey, what does mindfulness mean to you anyway, Benjamin? That's a great place to start. Yeah, that's a uh, thank you so much for the introduction. You are uh, too kind. Um, Mindfulness to me is really just an awareness of who I am and, and what is going on inside of me or, or around me. Um, like most people, when I heard about meditation and mindfulness, I, I had this really tainted view of it. Um, but as I started diving in and, and really reading a lot and, and diving in myself and practicing, I started realizing, no, this is just becoming aware of the th- inputs in your life and how those inputs create certain outputs. Um, so yeah, that's, that's mindfulness to me. Well, I was reading an article that you wrote in December of 2016, which is not very long ago. And it was titled a letter to a man dealing with depression and anxiety. And then at the very top, I noticed this, that you had written in there. This is a commitment contract to myself. So that was a pretty powerful piece of writing. How are you doing with that commitment, Ben? Good. Um, it's the, you know, I'm not um, sitting here saying it's been easy by, by any stretch, but I think doing something like that publicly was really important for me to continue the, the vulnerability, to continue the authenticity and the honesty of, of what I'm doing and what I'm trying to write. Because as I'm sure you're aware of, and if anybody you know, listening is, is starting their own business. There's, there's all these micro decisions that make up the macro of, of, of what you're trying to do. And, and if you don't have that purpose, if you don't have certain people holding you accountable to why you started what you're doing, it, it, it can become cloudy. And so for me, I wanted to make sure that that was my sole focus. So, um, you know, six, 12, 18 months from now, when, you know, the shiny objects or the business deals or, whatever else came up, I, I could look back to that and be like, no, this, this is still my personal commitment to myself to help eradicate, you know, psychological suffering amongst as many men um, as possible. And that's kind of the purpose of, of what I'm doing. Well, yeah. And as men, wow, it can be a tough go. I mean, it's a tough go for all of us as human beings. There's no doubt about it, but why is it that 
as men, we have a particularly, uh, well, a unique journey. Let's talk about that. What do you think, Ben? So why, why men are, have a, have trouble opening up and being vulnerable? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I am definitely not a subject matter expert on that, um, on the psychology, but I'll give you my own personal opinions. Um, I think that, you know, there, there are these things called first world problems that are, that are real problems. Um, and you know, sometimes we joke about them, but I think that, um, you know, growing up in, you know, especially for me in, you know, North America in a society where men are viewed as weak if they're vulnerable or, you know, kind of having the icon of of the strong man who's stoic in, in, in kind of talking and, and isn't really, you know, engaged. And if he shows too much love, that means he's, he's weak and he's giving up power. Um, so I think that, you know, if you, if you could see all the through lines between the movies, the, the people that we looked up to, um, as well as just kind of our peers, it's, you know, men thrive in groups. Um, we've, you know, we were raised, you know, wherever your lineage is from, you're probably at one point ancestors were in a tribe of, of men who would go out and hunt and then come back. And so you, you don't, want to be isolated. You can't be different from them or else they'll leave you and you won't have food or you'll be, you know, excommunicated from that, from that tribe. And so I think that that just really has been enveloped into our DNA. And, and, and nowadays we feel that same fear. Oh, if I'm different than, than him or this group, then I'm going to be isolated. And then I'm, you know, going to be excommunicated. Um, and I think that, what, what I love to do and what I've been trying to do is show that authenticity and vulnerability are not weaknesses. They're, they're matters of strength that not only will make you a better, you know, husband, father, you know, son, brother, but they will also make you more effective in dealing with people in the business sense, um, be more emphatic. There's a lot of research on, you know, resilience and emotional intelligence as being almost better and, and, and more, um, important to success than, than IQ. Um, and so, uh, that's that, you know, just taking the different approach to why men should be vulnerable rather than be like vulnerable. So, you know, people can love you and be like, no, if when you're vulnerable, you understand people at a different level, therefore you can be more effective in what you do. So how do you get into that state when you write, Ben, when you, you sit down and you think, okay, I want to write something that's really meaningful and really reaches out to people. And how do you get that to come out on the paper? Do you just, you just start and it just flows? Yeah. I mean, I am, I'm by no stretch a professional author, um, very newfound passion, but for me, it's, it just, it's just telling the truth. Right. And I think so many people, especially if you're an aspiring writer, an entrepreneur, and you just want to get your voice out there, communicate with the world about what you have to say, people are just, they're trying to, um, you know, envision this perfect article, perfect prose versus just telling the world exactly what's going on in your head. Um, Because we don't need any more, you know, lies and, and, you know, structures of people that are super successful and like, three months made a million dollars or whatever. We need more people like, no, this is hard. Or like when this happened, like I broke down. Um, cause that, it, it just shares this collective ethos between people. Um, so that's how I, I just kind of 
it's hard. Um, it's really hard, but I just, you know, sit down at the, you know, computer. I usually, you know, do a first draft by hand. Yeah. Um, cause it just, uh, I don't know for me personally, it just feels more, um, you know, intuitive. And so I do that and then just try to get in that state. And I always like, you know, there's every time I write, I'm like, this seems like it might be, you know, going over the line of too much. And then I do 10% more, um, wow. just to, make sure because I know it's actually probably not too much. It's just my fear and my ego not wanting to share. Um, and so it's just a way for me to even further, you know, twist that, twist that screwdriver. Yeah. Ben, what's the toughest piece of writing you have ever shared? That piece in particular was kind of a part of a, a two part piece when I first started writing. So I started writing, um, just as a creative outlet in, in last November, um, and I set up like kind of a URL for my business in December and this, in that piece that you, that you alluded to the letter to a man dealing with depression was, was the second article in that, um, you know, series. And I had never told anyone anything about my struggle. Like n- my parents knew some, of my, my siblings knew somewhat, my fiance knew maybe 40 to 50%, but no one knew even close to the struggle and so that piece in particular was like really opening up and like being like, Hey, this is hard because I knew I've lost friends from that for sure. You know, people have stopped talking to me or, or I get, um, you know, weird looks when you're at the bar with people that you used to hang out with. Um, so for me, that was, that was tough. And, you know, I felt this, you know, Brene Brown, um, who's, who's an author and a, a professor at the university of Houston, I believe she talks about, this thing called the vulnerability hangover, which is like after you really, you know, tell your truth, I felt like I was hung over for, for a day or two after that. And it was, it was tough, um, just because of the emotional burden that that had. So that was, that was probably the toughest thing. And, um, it's gotten easier, but it, like I said, it's not, not easy by any, by any means. Right. And so do you find that that it really helps to have somebody to talk to about this? Yes. Yes. I think that especially, you know, it doesn't need to be um, on the platform like I'm doing it, but the cognitive based therapy, um, whether not, that doesn't mean you need to go to a therapist, but just talking to anybody about how you're feeling will immediately make you feel better. Um, Not only because you're getting it off your mind and out there and really being able to see it objectively, but you're also being able to connect with somebody on a deeper level and that will make you feel better. So, yes, talking about it um, in the right context for sure, but talking about it has definitely been super helpful. Yeah, for sure. And obviously writing about it. Did you write before, like, say, November? Did you do any amount of writing at all or you just started completely then? Yeah, no, (laughs) I had never. um, That's the funny thing, right? People are like, follow your passion and that will lead to success. Or, you know, I I didn't I loved reading, but I had never written anything. Um, But I knew that was a good way to get the you know, my word out and stuff like that. And so I started writing and I just started loving it. Like I would, you know, found myself in that flow state where four hours later I was still doing it and and I was still just as excited about it. Um, and so, like I said, very pre, um, you know, on this writer's journey, but I've just been soaking up as much as possible and and writing as much as possible to hopefully, you know, get those 10,000 hours at some point in the next couple of years. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about meditating because I know that's something else that you that you do and that you talk about. When did you start that in your life? Yeah. So meditation was um, for me. It was very sporadic. Um, probably about eighteen months ago, I I'd heard about Headspace for the first time, and I did I oh, did yeah. the ten day um, free thing that they they give away and. Um, I didn't really, you know, catch to it. Like I did the full 10 days, but for whatever reason, I was like, I felt that meditation and mindfulness was too small for what I was going through. Um, which I've, I've noticed that that's a huge trend in a lot of people with, you know, any number of problems that they think that the, really the most practical solutions are probably easier than they think. Um, but then I moved to, moved to New York shortly after leaving this management consulting job, um, and I, and I was walking through a bookshelf and I, and I saw this book called full catastrophe living, which was a, right. you know, obviously John Kabat-Zinn who's, who's very huge, but it was, you know, I read that this was like, you know, mindfulness based stress reduction. And I was like, what, what is this? Like in hospitals everywhere. And so like I bought this book and if you've ever seen it, it's like a couple inches thick, it's, it's massive, but read, yes. read the whole thing. And I was like, wow, this, this isn't just some like thing to relax, this could actually improve my life by, you know, X amount of, um, you know, life in, in the future. And so from there on, I just started, I meditated pretty much every day, went, took a, um, eight week meditation course, um, through the hospital. And ever since that's been a, you know, keystone habit every morning I'm, I'm, I'm meditating. And what does this look like? Is this silent meditation, Ben, or guided or what? Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's pretty split 50, 50 between guided and just, just pure Vipassana, um, focusing, you know, counting the breath. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, very simple. Um, it's usually on a chair or, or on the floor, um, you know, here in my apartment and just do that for, you know, 20 minutes. Right. Right. And so you do that every day, once a day. So I do the morning meditation every morning, um, but I, you know, throughout the day I'll, I'll have, you know, what I like to call them like, um, in a, <laughs> I call them innovation breaks. Um, and I try to step away from my computer for like five to 10 minutes and just do a quick little meditation to like rejuvenate my brain and, and then go back into work. Um, so I'd say I probably do, you know, 15, 20 minutes of that as well, so, you know, spread out through the day. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if there's uh, any sport or activity that you're into. Are you an avid runner or anything like that, Ben? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a very big runner. Um, my fiance and I actually, from the time that we got engaged to our wedding, which is coming up here in a couple of months, um, decided that we're going to do a thousand miles in a year. And so we do, um, so it's like about 20 miles a week, which isn't, you know, a, a ton, but, um, I'm, I'm running four to five times a week and, and I find that to be very meditative as well. Um, I, I rarely, you know, run with, with music. And so just, just getting, getting out there and running is, is, is big. So just the silence, you just exactly. run with silence. Yeah. And then what about nature? Do you like to get into nature? Is that part of what you like to introduce in your life? I, I love nature. Um, I live in, I live in a, you know, Chicago, Illinois, so there's not a ton of nature. Um, but when it's nice out, um, I'll go for, you know, 20 to 30 minute walk every night when my fiance gets home. It's, um, mm-hmm. so it's a huge habit of ours. Um, especially cause I work from home and 
when I was doing a lot of study of, of architecture, um, just because I, I, it's a fascination of mine, they, they talk about the importance of a foyer, um, you know, separating the outside from the inside. And right. I found that very, you know, you know, kind of similar to meditation and all these other spiritual and, and kind of contemplative practices. And so I work from home and so I didn't really have that separation. So, you know, taking this walk pretty much every night is, is been that kind of pseudo foyer for me to kind of go out and then come back. Um, which has been really big because before I would just kind of keep going, like my mind would just be in work mode even when I wasn't working. Um, and so I needed that, that activity to separate the two activities. I see. And so then once you have that, do you find that you're able to fall asleep pretty easily at night or is that an issue for you because of the anxiety you've had in the past? Tell us about that. Yeah. Sleep for me is, is never been a huge, huge problem. Um, I have a very strict, um, bedtime routine, which I picked up right kind of during the the month or two that I really kind of healed the anxiety that I had, um, which is like nine, 9 PM, like all screens are off. And then from, you know, nine to 10, I, I follow this, uh, night routine that really just sets me up and, um, you know, I sleep eight to nine hours. Sleep is, sleep is huge, huge for me. Yeah. So you don't want to cut it short. You don't feel right if you do. Is that right? Yeah, no, I, for me, it was sleep was, you know, sleep, meditation and, and diet and, and obviously exercise. Those were kind of the four keystone habits that really helped me heal. Um, and a lot of people that I uh, work with or that I really look up to, you know, sleep is, it's, it's an Archimedes lever that can really change things, especially getting, you know, consistent sleep, not just nine hours if you're going to bed at different times, but but going to bed at the same time every night, waking up at the same time every morning is actually really in- effective. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't miss my sleep. I'll turn, I, I turn my phone off. If anybody calls or texts, they, they won't get a response until the next morning. Right, right. Well, I know as men, you know, one of the challenges is really being aware of our emotions. And I just want to talk with you about anger and, you know, that kind of thing, fear and anger. What makes you angry, Ben? I'm not, I definitely am not an angry person. I think that if, if you, I got all the anxious genes and, and um, you know, somebody else got all the angry genes. Um, but what, what makes me angry um, just kind of in a general sense is um, people living a, a life that was given to them by somebody other than themselves. Um, you know, whether that's a career and, and they're driven by their dad, who's told them since, you know, they were five, they should have followed this path. And if they don't, there's nothing else out there. Or whether that's, you know, a relationship that that's just broken. Um, I, I just think that with this whole experience and with other things in, in my personal life, we, we in how cliche it is, but we only have one life. And so yeah. um, I hate to watch people, especially in, in a developed world, you know, wasting that um, when there's people, you know, everywhere who, who would give really anything, um, to, to have what we have. And so, um, that if I wouldn't say anger, but more, uh, more frustration, um, fear on the other hand, um, you know, I, I, I deal with fear on, on a daily basis as I think we, we all do, especially, um, you know, the listeners and you, if, if you do meditation and mindfulness, it doesn't, doesn't normally quiet the waters, at the beginning, it kind of lets you see all the ripples in the water. Um, and then, and then you go about quieting those as, as you go deeper. And so, um, for me, through my meditation practice, I've just been seeing how many things I've, 
I've been doing subconsciously out of fear and, and, um, you know, hedging my bets or, you know, not saying exactly what I want or how I feel because of fear of, of what's going to happen. Um, but for me right now, it's just, um, and it's always been driven by success, I think. And, and like you said, men and women, um, deal with this, um, you know, a fear that I'm not going to be who I want to be. Um, and that's something I try to come combat every day by just saying you are already who you were meant to be. Yeah. So what made you decide to work more specifically with men? I know that's, that's a big part of your focus. Yeah. Um, I think there's, I think I love women and I think that they have these issues as well. And I think that the strategies and everything that I talk about apply, but there's no, there's not many men. I mean, what my mentor and, and somebody I really look up to, I think he's been on your podcast, um, Tim JP Collins. Yes. Really, he's, he's, he's a man doing, doing similar work. Um, but there's not many men in this space being honest and true. And, and I was, a, I was born a male for a reason. Um, and so I, 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 it's not that I don't talk to women. I have a ton of, you know, I actually have coaching clients who are women, but um, for me, I just think there's, there, this voice needs to, to come from that. Um, and I, and I don't know what it's like to be a female and dealing with these issues. Um, I only know what it's like it, for me to deal with these issues and, and maybe that's similar to, to women and, and to men, but, um, you know, I know men better. So that's, yeah. that's what I chose to, you know, they say, write about what you know about. Um, and so that's, that was, that's kind of my, my reasoning for that. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's go back to that that time when you had that regular job. You you were in that management position, doing your thing. What was it that that just pulled you down in that kind of life? Do you think what made it so so really tough for you to manage? Yeah. So for me. Um, I have been so, and this is kind of one of those things, finding those ripples. I've been so driven by success, um, and achievement since I was young. Um, I was doing some journaling and just kind of realizing, seeing those trend lines. And so, um, the, when I started dealing with anxiety for the first time, I was in New York city working or I was interning, um, before my senior year of college. And that's when I had my first panic attack. Um, it was after a long week of working, you know, long hours at a finance firm, as well as trying to, um, you know, build a, uh, like a startup company with a buddy at nights and weekends. And my body just shut down. I did, um, you know, straight like 70 hours without sleeping I'd taken, you know, Adderall to stay up and, um, you know, tons of coffee and (laughs) inevitably my body was like, you're not treating me right. I'm going to, I'm going to wake you up here. Um, and so I had a panic attack on the subway Um, and so that was kind of how I went into that management consulting job because I, I never really got better. I went back to school and, and all I was, my, my number one focus was if I can get a good, well-paying job, this will go away as, as dumb as that sounds now, that was my rationale. Um, and so I, I got like all these job offers, tried as hard as I could, accepted this one and really tried to you know, feel that way. But as soon as I got there and, you know, within hours, I was like, I'm not going to feel better here. Um, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't the job or the people it was, it was, I was just out of alignment. Um, that was just not 
who I was trying, like I said, wearing a mask of somebody else who had said, Hey Ben, this is success and you should, you should follow this path. Um, and so like, I remember being in meetings and, and having to basically tighten my calves so hard that like I, they would start spasming cause I felt like I was going to have a panic attack in front of like my managing director and, and things like that. And so we got to a point where I was just like, I can't do this. And I was, uh, I was in my six month review and, you know, sitting with the managing director and, and, and my boss and all these other, you know, great people. And they're yeah. like, you know, you've done really great work. What, what do you see your future here? And <laughs> no premeditation. Um, I was like, today's going to be my last day. Uh, oh, wow. and, and, and I don't know how or why or what level of confidence came over me in that moment. But um, I like to believe that at somewhere deep, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily religious, but I am spiritual. And I think somewhere um, you know, whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, whatever, um, that, that came through me there in a moment that I needed it to. And so I left that job that day, never came back. Um, and that was kind of the start of my journey to healing and, and, and now kind of helping others. So, well, let's go back to when you were a kid. Did you have anxiety back then? What were some of your biggest challenges as a, as a young kid, like eight or nine years old? Yeah. I mean, I, I've done a lot of thinking on this. I never had anxiety to the level where it, it dictated my life. But, um, you know, until that panic attack, I had never had anxiety or, you know, I've had stress. Um, but it, 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 there's a difference. <laughs> um, and, yeah. but yeah, I mean, um, when I was younger, we moved from, you know, and I think I was talking to somebody about this the other days when I, like, I think I was 11, um, and we had been raised in, in, in this town in Indiana and Mm -hmm. all my friends, all my family, um, were there and, and my parents, you know, showed up one day and were basically like, we're moving to, to Colorado. And I know it's not that big of a deal, but, um, as a, as an 11 year old, I just felt so out of control because I couldn't stop them from moving us. Right. Like I was like, I couldn't, I, whatever I said to them, um, I couldn't, I couldn't get them to stop from us moving to Colorado. Um, and so I think that was, that was always a, a part of my story to, to regain that control and not let anybody or anything ever dictate, you know, my direction in life without me being in control of it. Um, and I think I lost that control, uh, when I had that panic attack and I've, and I've been, you know, ever since trying to, trying to regain it. Yeah. Speaking of control, I've, I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. I'm wondering, were you ever bullied or did you ever bully anyone else? Have you got a bullying story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Oh yeah. Huge. Um, and I was, I was definitely not a great kid. Um, Oh really? Yeah, I was, uh, I, I don't know why, but, um, you know, child psychology probably could, somebody could tell me, but yeah, I was definitely, I wouldn't say like a yeah, I would definitely call myself, I was a bully growing up, especially in elementary school. Um, mindfulness would have been so huge or just, I don't know. And this is, this is my kind of back to anger, I guess. Um, living and growing up in a very, very conservative Christian environment, um, is, is probably a lead driver of a lot of anxiety in America. Um, okay. and that's kind of how I, I felt. And I felt like, I had no control at home because like, I didn't really believe what they believed and they didn't, so they didn't accept me. Right. So, um, I needed to be accepted by somebody. I needed to be, you know, powerful over somebody. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know any particular story, you know, playing sports and, you know, picking, not picking the kids that, you know, were fatter or whatever, for whatever reason. Um, and there's really no justification to that. It's just kind of, you know, something that I've had to deal with. Um, but you know, um, mindfulness would have been huge. Just understanding that, you know, we're all kids. We're all, we're, we're all part of this human thing that we call the human condition. And, um, you're not better than them. And, right. Right. So you found yourself a lot of times with sports and, and, you know, kids that didn't do well in sports. And I I imagine you did. Right. So that's kind of where a lot of that bullying fell. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for sure. Um, you know, school and, and sports, I both found, um, very, came very easy. Um, and so that kind of freed me up to, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. and we kind of had this, uh, kind of had a little gang in, in elementary school that we kind of thought we were, um, more important than we were for, for third graders. Um, that's for sure. Spent a lot of time in the, in the, uh, principal's office. So, um, yeah, but definitely not something proud to look back on. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's something that, um, you know, I try to, I, I love working with kids now and, you know, there's nothing that I can do to change the past, but there's, you know, there's like we talked about in meditation and mindfulness, you, you yeah. can only be here, right? You can only For be sure. here. And so what can I do today to be the best that I can to make today better than, than yesterday? Um, and so that's how I choose to, to look at it. And, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely not proud of that. Yeah. Well, if, if you were the father of say an eight or nine year old child and they came home from school and they said, Hey dad, you know, like I'm really upset. And, you know, they were like visibly upset because they had been picked on and bullied. What kind of advice would you give them? You know, I wouldn't, I don't think I, and I haven't read a lot, but I have read some parenting stuff and I'm not a kid or I don't have kids. So, um, take yeah. this with whatever grains of salt, but, um, I don't think I would give them advice. Um, I would just hear them. Like I would just let yeah. them tell me exactly how they feel and not quickly. I don't know. I think what, what mindfulness teaches me is that we don't have the answers. And, um, whenever we try to fill that space immediately, we, we diminish the pain, um, and we diminish how the person's feeling. And so that's how I feel with kids or whatever. Um, just ma- they just want to be heard. They just want their voice and their opinion, Um, and so for me, that's how I view it. It's just, just truly listening and really understanding and letting them talk and and, and letting it come out and not offering the easy solution because, you know, oftentimes there, there isn't, um, and, um, the earlier you realize to work with that and, and, um, you know, be okay with those emotions. I think we can really start building that emotional intelligence of, of children at a younger age, which can, as that's why you work with them is, um, yeah, it, it can just it can be a huge change in the in you know the kind of the society trend. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of how I would approach that. I I think that's very very wise, Ben. That's very wise that you've said that because listening is everything. Benjamin, my next questions are just five quick answer questions. I want to ask you this: Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Um, like I said. Um, Tim J.P. Collins was a huge, huge thing for me. Um, but aside from that, I think um, Oliver Sacks, who's a, who's an author, um, he he wrote the book Gratitude, is, along with a ton of other books. He was a neuro, um, 
you know, neuroscience professor and, and all these things in, at Columbia. And that book, Gratitude, was the book that I, you know, was given when I walked in, when I first was moving to New York. I didn't know where I was living. I didn't know what I was doing. Somebody gave me this little book. It's called Gratitude. And it's just basically a book that was published after he died of just short essays of his gratitude for living. Um, and I had never heard about gratitude practice or anything like that. And, and it was, um, really life changing. So Ben, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? It's helped me understand them and detach from the stories that they tell you. How has breathing been a part of your mindfulness? Huge. It's, uh, helped me stop, uh, stop panic attacks, um, you know, years ago. And now, now it just really helps me, you know, gain energy when I need it. So you've already recommended a couple of books. I'll put them into the show notes, Ben, and uh, those show notes are at mindfulnessmode.com. So Mindful Tribe, check out the show notes. Benjamin, is there any kind of an app that you would recommend that can help with uh, mindfulness? Yeah, there's two that I think are um, really great. I think that, um, like we said, Headspace. Headspace and Calm are both very similar apps, and they're both really great um low barriers, non-religious ways to, to kind of pick up, um, meditation practice really easily. Right. Right. Thanks for that. Yes. Well, Ben, it's been really great talking with you. You do have so much wisdom on this topic and, you know, I can't wait to read even more of your writings. Have you got a book in mind that you're probably going to be writing? Are you thinking about going in that direction? Yeah, I am. Um, and like I said, I'm very, very early on and I know that that's a, that's a long mountain to go up. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, if I had one, you know, aspiration of what I would want to be is it would be an author and, and bringing this, these, these topics that you are like, you are such a huge proponent of this is, is bringing these topics that are so impactful to, to a modern society. Um, and, and, you know, can kind of trying to do whatever we can to eliminate cynicism around them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have a uh, have a couple book ideas um, that I've been kind of playing around with. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, you you take action and you move fast and you've you've really accomplished a lot in a short time. You have so many readers. You have so many people on your list and your on your list of followers. So that is absolutely amazing. So anyway, have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for joining us here on Mindfulness Mode, Ben. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, all the best. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.